And welcome to River West. It's so good to be together. Very special welcome to guests, visitors, family, neighbors. Welcome to River West. I'm inviting you to open your Bible this morning or pull out a Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Ushers are coming now down the aisle. We'll get into the word together. It's December 23rd. I know. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. And you know what that means? That means that in about 45 minutes, we're all going to stand up. We're going to walk out of here. We're going to go back out into the world. I'm going to stay and get ready for Christmas Eve. But you're going to walk out of here and you're going to go back out into the rush and the chaos and the madness of the good old-fashioned American Christmas, right? <laughs> right? It's a wonderful time of year. It's one of the most wonderful times of year, but let's be honest. It can also be a little stressful, a little chaotic, a little busy, and sometimes, if we're honest, it can be a little bit painful, right? Christmas can be a time of year for some people where you're confronted with some hurt in your life, expectations that you have that are going unmet, broken relationships, discord with people you love. And so what I'm going to do this morning in about 45 minutes, right before you get up to walk back out into the world, we're going to give you a gift today. I'm going to give you a few moments of absolute peace and tranquility. Does that sound good? Yeah, good. And the whole service is moving towards a moment in about 45 minutes, okay? Because I want you to be ready for that moment. My entire sermon is 100% devoted to getting you ready for what I think God wants you to do in that moment. How will you think? What will you feel? What will you talk to God about in that moment? One of the most peaceful moments of my life in recent memory actually happened in this room in a Christmas Eve service. It was a couple of years ago. I had finished the message and I had started the process of candlelight spreading through the sanctuary. Ushers were coming down the aisle and I stepped right over here to the side and I had a, a bird's eye view of the whole congregation and I watched as we started to sing Silent Night and the candlelight that represents the light of Christ was spreading throughout the church and I, I watched as people's faces started to glow with the light of Christ and in that first moment you're really stressed out because you don't want to spill wax on your neighbor so you're like watching that but then we're singing Silent Night and the room is lighting up and I had this moment I was like oh there was just this peace. And we sang silent night, holy night. Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, of thy, Lord at thy birth, right? And it was amazing. I thought it was like, it was one of those moments where just for a, a split second, I felt like heaven 
was here on earth. You know that moment, sometimes we have it in here, we come in here, we're worshiping, and for, for, there will be these moments where we're like, this feels a lot like what it's going to be like someday, this peace that's settled. Amazing. The most famous part of the Christmas story is the moment when the heavenly choir shows up to the angels and they sing this song where they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace towards those with whom he's pleased, right? This amazing moment. This reminder that right at the heart of the Christmas story is this promise that God makes of peace. What is it? And am I experiencing it in my life? This is an important question that we have to ask and answer today. And so this morning we're going to go back and we're actually going to camp on that very Verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Will you open your Bible and turn there? We've been in a series in our church where we're studying through the gospel of Luke and we're slowing down. We're going verse by verse. And so we're learning so many things together. And the amazing thing is that we preached Luke 2, 14 right before Thanksgiving. And although we learned multiple things from that passage, we actually, I intentionally moved past this verse because I knew we would come back because I knew it, it would take an entire sermon to get at it. And so we're going to read into it together this morning, starting in Luke 2, verse 8. We enter into the story, let the amazing Christmas story of the shepherds and the angels touch your heart and soak your soul. Here's what happened. Luke 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Let's put your finger there in the Bible, and let me tell you that this is actually the third time in the opening chapters of Luke that an angel shows up. An angel showed up when Zechariah was in the temple praying, and the angel appeared to Zechariah to remember, and he said, Zechariah, God has answered your prayers. And even though you and your wife, Elizabeth, are advanced in years, which is just a polite way of saying you're so old, dude, but you're old. But here's the thing. God has answered your prayers and your wife, Elizabeth, is going to conceive and have a child. And I want you to name him John. And he brings this good news. And then that same angel shows up to a teenage girl named Mary in a little town called Nazareth, and he says, I'm bringing you good news. Mary, you have found favor in the sight of God, and even though you are a virgin, you're going to conceive miraculously, and you're going to give birth to a child, and this child will be so special. He'll be God's king and savior, and I want you to name him Jesus. Good news. And then that same angel shows up to bring good news again to some shepherds. That's what angels do. They're, they're messengers, they're these divine, supernatural messengers. They, anytime an angel shows up, it's because God has good news that he wants to share with his people. But what's interesting, did you notice that the angel is not the only thing that shows up that day? The shepherds get a second experience. They get a two for one, okay? Because the other thing that shows up, did you see it? The glory of God shows up and it shines around them. And whatever happened in that moment, it would have had to have been 
so bright. They were out in the fields at night and you know, at night your eyes dilate and they get bigger. And then imagine this, the glory of God shining around them. It, it scared the daylights out of them, right? What is that glory? Just for a minute, I, I need to stop. And I, we actually need to talk about this word because this word glory is going to show up again in verse 14. And we have to be ready to understand what Luke is doing. What is glory? What is the glory of God? It's one of these words where we all probably have sort of an intuitive sense of what it means, but we've never really slowed down to actually define it. And actually, it's a very difficult word to define because we're trying to define something about a God who's indescribable, right? So God, what God does, he says, I'll show you my glory. I want you to experience it first. You can define it later, but right now, I just want you to see that the glory shines and glows and it impacts people when they see it. The root word is, is the word heaviness or weight. So at a concrete level, glory means God's abundance, his splendor, his, his worth. In the Bible, the, the glory of God is a moment where God allows visibly for people to see a full display of all of his splendor and majesty and worth. It's one split second, God will say, I'll let my glory be expressed visibly. That's what, that's what happens in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, anytime the glory of God shows up, it shows up as light or fire. It's always mesmerizing and bright. And in fact, it's so bright and powerful that God has to shroud it in a cloud because you can't see the full glory of God. It will, it will kill you. <laughs> and so God says, I'll show up in my glory, but I'll, I'll shroud it in a cloud. So you, if you remember that in the book of Exodus, the people at one moment, they look out in the wilderness and they see the glory of God coming to them in a cloud. And that, the book of Exodus says that it, by day they were led by a pillar of cloud and by night by a pillar of fire. And that was the glory of God going out before his people. And that glory led them to Mount Sinai. There's a moment where Moses looks up and he sees the cloud of God's glory and and Moses says, I want more. I want to see more of your glory. And he asks God, God, can I see more of your glory? And you know what God says to him? Yes. I want you to see more of my glory. Come up to the mountain and I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. And you know the story. God says, you're going to have to hide in a cleft of the rock. You can't see the whole thing. You can't see my face. So you'll have to wait until I pass by and then you can see the backside of the glory and God passes by and it's this amazing moment. And then, you know, the same thing happens to Elijah. Elijah's out in the wilderness, up in a mountain hiding. And God says, I want to show you my glory. And so he says, I'm going to hide you in a cleft of a rock and I'm going to pass by. And he passes by with a thunderstorm. He passes by with fire. He passes by with a cloud. And then he passes by with a still small voice. And he says, Elijah, I want you to see my glory. And then amazingly, God shows up thousands of years later and he, does, and he shows the same thing to this group of shepherds. What a privilege. What a privilege. What happens next? Will you look at it with me? Verse 10. 
And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now stop right there. So verse 14, which you can look at now in your Bible, very next verse is the response of a heavenly host to what has just been announced. The one angel is now joined by thousands of angels because that's what the word host means. One angel is joined by a thousand angels to actually now declare this is what it means. And every commentator points out the significance of that moment where one angel is joined by thousands of angels because apparently you only need one angel to bring the news, but you need thousands of them to help you understand how significant that news is. It's so profound and so powerful one angel won't cut it. You need thousands to worship. Because sometimes we hear news updates. We, we hear really good news and, and, and we know this is probably something really significant, but I don't totally get it. For some reason, this is not impacting me the way it should. I need someone to help me understand the significance of this. I remember when my wife was 13 weeks pregnant. And she was with her friend um, who was a little bit further along in, in her own pregnancy. So my wife was with her friend Amy and she had twins and it was a complicated pregnancy. So my wife's friend Amy had to get ultrasounds once a week and Kathy went with her on this one occasion and they did an ultrasound. And then when they finished, my, my wife's friend Amy turned to the nurse and said, hey, Kathy's pregnant too. Can, can you do an ultrasound on her? You know, And the nurse is like, Sure, why not? And they squirted the jelly on her stomach and they did the thing. And then, and, 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 and the nurse is looking at it going, oh my gosh. And Kathy's like, I don't see anything. This, have you ever seen a 13 week old? It's like, it looks like Skeletor in there. And then they, they gave her a little picture. And then, and then Kathy showed up to my office and she was like, really good news. And she handed me the picture and I was like, where? <gasps> She was like, it's a girl. Are you sure? It looks like Skeletor to me, right? Who's the father of this baby? I'm like, I'm sure this is important, but I don't totally get it. The angels heard a bunch of words about Jesus that were profound, but I have a feeling that they couldn't take it all in. And so God in his mercy sends thousands of angels to sing at the top of their lungs so that they'll get it. And what is the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, we hover now with me on our verse, chapter two, verse 14. Here's what they sang. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Okay, there's two aspects going on. There's two 
themes that the angels are singing about. The first theme is glory that's happening in heaven. That's what the highest refers to. Glory in heaven and peace that's happening on earth. Glory and peace. Heaven and earth. That's the full significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ into the world is the single greatest display of the glory of God ever. And the coming of Christ into the world is the only possibility for true and lasting peace. Glory and peace. And the angels say, now you can see the significance of Jesus. Each one of those is so significant, I could preach a sermon on each one. But today, here's what I want to do today. What I want to do is I want to show you that it's not an accident that the, that the angels take those two ideas and they fuse them together. Glory in heaven, peace on earth. The angels take those two things and they bring them together as if to say, you can't separate those two things. And we shouldn't separate them either. We shouldn't separate them. So what I want to do now is I want to stop and I'm going to share with you a biblical truth that runs throughout the entire scripture. This is really, really important. And it's the main point of my sermon. It's a one-point sermon today, all right? You'll be glad to know because it's December 23rd, all right? Here it is. Please listen. Here's what the angels are wanting to say. Before you can experience the peace, you're going to have to come to terms with the glory. You want peace in your life or in your world? Great. And these shepherds say, in order to get the peace, you have to begin with the glory, the glory of God. You can't separate those. You can't tear them apart. There's no such thing as peace on earth without God being the most glorious person in the universe. And if you think about the history of our world, we know this is true. We know. We've been trying to create peace in our world for a long time, and it's not working. <laughs> right? You look at the history of the world and you think, this is a big promise, God, peace on earth. You promised that. But, but if you promised peace on earth with the coming of Christ, why is our world so divided and broken and, and wrought with war and hurt and hardship, division? We look at the history of our world and we think, what a gap between this promise and our reality one of the most haunting Christmas carols of all time was written by a man named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he lived during the Civil War. And he wrote a Christmas carol called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, where he talked about this phrase, peace on earth. And the reason he, he wrote the carol because of some tragedy that happened in his life. A year before he wrote the carol, his wife was getting dressed for a party, and she put on one of these elaborate gowns, and right as they were about to leave the house, a candle got knocked over, and it caught her dress on fire, and her dress went up into flames. And he desperately tried to get, put the fire out and take, 
take the dress off, and in the process, he was burned, third-degree burns all over his body. His wife died in that moment. So he, in the following months, he made his son promise, promise me you will not go off to the war. The Civil War was raging, but his son one night ran away from home, went off to the war, and of course, months later, returned with critical injuries. And so he penned this, this hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I'll read to you a couple of the stanzas. He begins like this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then the song turns when he writes, then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south. It's this vivid imagery of cannon, cannon fire, black cannon shooting in its war in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent. It's describing grave sites being torn open to make room for dead bodies. And made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then you too got in on this as well, of course. Um, Bono, as he was reflecting on the war in Northern Ireland, he wrote a song called Peace on Earth where he said, Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on Earth? To tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on Earth? Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat. Peace on Earth? I hear it every Christmas time but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth? Peace on earth. It's like part of the universal human experience. We hear this promise and then we experience the divide. And what many people have done in the history of our world is they've said, well, maybe the answer is to leave religion behind finally and create peace on our own. So recently, a Harvard psychologist named Steven Pinker wrote a book entitled Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. And what he argues in this book, he argues that actually in our world today, our world, we've made amazing strides. Our world is more peaceful. It's a much better place to live. And his argument is the reason for that has nothing to do with religion. It's because of the enlightenment, science, humanism, cognitive thinking, it was the great promise of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment thinkers said, if we finally can shed off religion and use human reason, we'll create a utopia, a perfect world where we actually have peace. But is our world more peaceful today? Is our world more peaceful? A lot of people don't think so. You know, there are people who measure world peace. That's somebody's job. <laughs> It's called the Global Peace Index. People actually do this. Can you believe this? The Global Peace Index, they measure, each year they measure the level of world peace using a bunch of different factors, 
militarization and terrorism and domestic violence in different countries. And for the last 10 years, they've discovered our world has become more and more violent and divided and dangerous. People want peace on earth, but they don't want anything to do with God, right? See, peace on earth is not a horizontal problem. It's a, it's a vertical problem. The problem starts here before anything can happen here. But in our world, pe people want peace, but they don't want anything to do with the glory of God. They think if we can just, we'll get peace if we can do a better job of educating people. We'll finally have peace through better politics, through better economic strategies. We'll have peace if we can get people to be more woke. The more woke people there are, the more peace there will be, right? It's one thing after another, and we'll finally create peace, but we're not making a world that's more peaceful. People say, I want peace, God, but I don't want anything to do with your glory. And you know what? It happens at a personal level, too. People say, I want, I want peace in my life. I want great relationships. You know, I want, I want things to go well at work. Is that so wrong? But I don't want anything, God, to do with you or your glory. I just want peace. And God says, I will bring peace. I can bring, I want to bring peace in your life. But the way that I'll do it is by becoming the most glorious person in your life. That's how you'll have peace. And so God says, I'm going to send my son into the world. And not only is he the prince of peace, he's the king of glory. He's the most glorious one. The angels would say to you this morning, I promise you, if you behold the glory of Jesus, you will get peace in your life. You'll get peace. It happens throughout Luke's gospel, everyone who see, finally sees the glory of God, their, their world is forever transformed. Can I just show you one place? Turn to Luke chapter 9. We'll come back to Luke 2 in a moment. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9, where a couple of the disciples are finally allowed to see the full glory of Jesus Christ. And they're forever changed. You're familiar with this. It's the moment of the transformation. We're going to study this in just a couple months. Here's what happened. Luke 9, verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold... Two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Did you notice that? Why was it Moses and Elijah who showed up that day on the mountain to be a part of the glory of Jesus being revealed? Because they were the two men in the Old Testament who had that experience before. And now here they are, accompanying Jesus as if to say to the disciples, hey, this is amazing, isn't it? We've been there, right? We know. And not only that, what you're experiencing is far more amazing than what we experience because you're seeing the 
full display of God's glory in this one person, God's son, Jesus Christ. Amazing. Moses and Elijah. Here's what happened. They appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said, which is going to become a theme in Peter's life. All right, (laughs) not understanding. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Amazing. God wants people to see his glory. Can I I talk for a moment and just talk really personally with you? God wants you to see his glory today. He wants you to see it. Do you know why? Because God knows that the only way that you will ever have peace is if you begin to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. Can I promise you something this Christmas? If you center your life around Jesus and his glory, you will immediately begin to experience his peace. I promise you, it will happen. God will flood you with peace. He'll change your life forever, for all eternity. And your peace won't have anything to do with your circumstances. It will be a peace that comes into your heart because you know, finally, I've discovered the most important thing who Jesus is. Everyone who sees Christ in that way, they're forever changed. You know, John was there and he saw Jesus. And you know what John said? He wrote John 1 verse 14, where he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Peter was there Peter saw the glory of Christ, and here's what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received glory, honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And Peter was forever changed. His whole life was changed. He had new purpose. He had new peace. And so I have to ask you a question this morning. Do you have peace with God in your life? Are you at peace with God? Such an important question. There was a man who was 
on his deathbed and a pastor came to visit him and the pastor walked into his bedroom and said, brother, have you made your peace with God? And the man looked up at the pastor and said, I didn't know we were at war, <laughs> right? And sometimes if we're being honest, we don't even know that we are at war with God until we have an experience where maybe we walk into a service or we have a moment where we begin to realize, wait a minute, something is not right in my life. Something is off. I don't have peace. It can happen to the most religious person. You can be religious and not have peace. It can happen to a pastor now and again. We pastors have moments where we get tied up in knots, right? Saturday night at about 11 p.m., all right, is when it typically happens. And there's this sense of angst. And you know what? Anytime I start to feel that, that sense of I'm not at peace, God will remind me, the reason you're not at peace right now is because you are giving your glory to another you're giving your glory to someone else or something else. And what I want you to do is give your glory to my son, Jesus Christ. If you center your life around the glory of Jesus, you will have peace. I promise you. I promise you. And in a moment, we're going to go to the table and I'm going to give you some time with the Lord. And here's the verse I want you to reflect on. I'm going to, I'm going to close with a, something the Apostle Paul said, Romans 5, verse 1. Paul said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, if you're going to ask the peace question, God, are we at peace? Paul said, you have to ask that question with Jesus Christ in your, in your purview because Jesus is our peace. We, we come into peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again to take away sin and bondage and death. Paul says, when you put your faith in Jesus, you get peace with God. And I'm gonna pray about that for you this morning. Will you bow your heads with me as we get ready to go to the table together? Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for Christmas because we know that it's this moment where heaven and earth intersect. The full display of your glory in the person of Jesus Christ and the full promise and fulfillment of peace through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And he's going to return someday and finish what he started, and we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for showing us who he is, Lord. I want to pray that in the next few moments together in our church, you would meet us here and you would speak to our hearts, encourage us, God. I pray that as we sing, as we hold the elements in our hands, you'd allow us to see the full glory of your son, Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's what we need, Lord. We pray it 
together. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.